Welcome to the next episode of the Amplifier Podcast, folks. And today I have as my guest, Mike Malatesta. Mike's a husband, father, entrepreneur, podcaster, and a self-proclaimed work in progress and dreamer. Mike's an entrepreneur who start, helps start, grow, and sell two amazing waste management companies. One sold for um, mid-eight figures and the other sold for low nine figures. He started his first company in 1992, seven months after being fired from, from a job that he had dreamt that he would lead someday, that company. Uh, over the next 22 years, Mike help, helped run and grow those entrepreneurial um, environmental businesses uh, into regional leaders before selling in uh, 2015 for more money than he could have imagined. His life journey has challenged him with some obstacles and many opportunities. His approach, uh, his approach uh, to life is um, an evolving series of events designed to test who we are and more importantly, who we can become. His book, Owner Shift, uh, How Getting Selfish Got Me Unstuck is a philosophical memoir that reveals the secret to why so many entrepreneurs get stuck and how they can shift to get free once again. He also has his own podcast, uh, How Did It Happen, where he explores stories, lessons, and wins from some of the most fascinating and successful people in the world. His mission is to help entrepreneurs uh, to create great companies and improve their lives and maybe even the world. Mike lives in Wisconsin uh, with his wife, Journey, uh, and he's a member of, uh, participates in entrepreneurial groups like YPO, Abundance 360, and Vistage. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Don. Pleasure to be here. You know, I'm an entrepreneur and I get stuck all the time, Mike. <laughs> and, uh, and, and sometimes I get unstuck and, uh, and sometimes I start to learn and realize that I'm my own worst enemy for getting myself stuck. Right. Tell me about your journey for, uh, you know, in writing this book and, you know, the inspiration for it. Yeah, I'd say, well, <clears throat> I've always, yeah, I graduated with a degree in English and I've always sort of thought of myself as a writer, but I never really produced anything that would demonstrate proof of that, Don. So I would, um, I would write things and over the years and I would just sort of stash them away in a, in a file cabinet or whatever, but um when my partner, Butch uh, Weiss, who I started the first business with, passed away in, in 2003, in, in a really unfortunate, as a result of a very unfortunate set of circumstances, um, I, I think that's when I knew that I was going to have to write a book about the, the journey, because when that happened, I was really, uh, yeah, broken. I was broken and mm -hmm. I, and I, and I fell, you know, I, I, I basically ended up stuck in what I call in the book, the Valley of uncertainty, but still I didn't do anything about it for another, uh, <clears throat> 15 years almost done. Um, and until after I sold, ended up selling that business in 2015, I was looking at these goals that I had established while I was in strategic coach, actually, we were talking about that prior to going on the air. And I had these two 10 year periods from when I was 43 to 53. And when I was 
54 to 64 or whatever. And I had, we had done this exercise and I had all these goals in there and I was 49 at the time that I sold. And I'm looking at these goals and there's a bunch of several goals that are related to writing a book. And I'm like, well, I'm, you know, here I am with a perfect opportunity to do it and I haven't done any of it. And so that's what really got me thinking. Um, now's the, now's the time, you know, now's the time. And so when, um, we really, you know, it's so weird because some things in life, you have a lot of discipline, self-discipline over, and some things you don't for whatever reason. And writing a book was something I didn't have self-discipline over. And so mm -hmm. I needed, what was actually holding me back from doing it was that I, I needed a structure. I need somebody to create a framework in which I could work. Right. And so I, <clears throat> I, I found that from a company called Scribe Media and mm -hmm. Tucker they, Max's company. Yeah. 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 So they put, they have a structure. I got into that structure and then I was able to write the book, uh, in, in, a, in about a year, uh, inside of that structure. Right. Yeah. I, I wanted to write books my whole life and had the exact same issue. I, you know, I didn't have the discipline and didn't understand the structure and I haven't written a, a big book so far. Um, it's one of, it, it's a going to do goal, but okay. it, it, it isn't one I've procrastinated on. I, I've written four, uh, short books, more in the line of what Dan Sullivan does a hundred pages at a time on a, on particular topics that are designed to create some value. And I've got, I've got two more that are written that we haven't released yet that we're going to release soon. But, um, the, the, the big book uh, I know what it's going to be called. I know what it's going to be about. I just got to, you know, make the decision when I'm going to start and likely work with someone like, uh, like Scribe to, uh, to provide that structure. The, and, you know, the small books that I, I write, uh, and I try to write one every quarter or every second quarter, um, they're, they're more, uh, I, I work within a structure and, and, and have uh, writing help and, and it's really more of an interview process. It's more like what, what, how, how Dan Sullivan does his books. Yeah. Okay. Um, and sort of, I learned that idea of, you know, come up with the structure. What do you want to talk about? Um, what's the outline? Almost like, you know, I write an impact filter kind of tool on, on uh, what I want to cover in this particular topic. And then I, you know, develop sets of questions and, and then someone interviews me and then I work with a writer and, um, and then I get a manuscript and edit it, and, and that's so it's a oh. you know it's a really fun, rewarding journey. But um, I I have a plan for a book um, called the uh, the Man from No Land Finds Home. <laughs> the Man from so, No Land Finds Home. Okay. Yeah. The big that's uh, the big book. That's the big book that I'll I I I will hopefully well I will um, I I will be writing it next year. Uh, I will be 50 next year, and that will be my my big book when I when I turn 50. So. Well, it sounds like you can write your big book the same way you wrote you've written your four. Yeah, no, almost I, I will. I will. Right. I'm just you know building up building up the the solution image for how what I want to cover in that book, and okay, you know, it's there's a theme in there about you know I've never felt like I belonged anywhere, and. Um, and finding home is is a really important 
uh, part. I live on a different side of the country from most where I grew up and where my family is. And my wife is from another part of the world. She's from the UK. And so in that mix, there's going to be that journey. And that's all, you know, and, uh, and, and some interesting fun quirks. I, uh, I often call my wife the Sassanac. Um, if she's from Scotland and, um, and we, uh, we watched the show Outlander and uh, she's the Sassanac because, um, each chapter in this new book is going to have a word of the week because for 14 years, uh, we've been together and, uh, she comes up with new words in that she introduces into a conversation and it's like speaking another language and, and it's a, always a, a really fun interlude to a conversation because she will use, she'll say some Scottish phrase that means nothing to me, and she'll say it three or four times like she thinks I can't hear her. Um, <laughs> and I can hear you, I just don't know, have any context of what that phrase means and in, in what we're trying to say. And and then she'll she'll then use four to eight other Scottish words that I don't know to try to help me understand it. And so... Uh, over the years, we've we've relied on Google. <laughs> we've relied on Google to look up what this phrase is and find out that it is a real word, but it's a Scottish phrase, and here's what it means. And ah, and so. So, so where does where does Sassanac come from then? Well, Sassanac is the term that um, the characters in this sh Scottish show called Outlander, the the male lead refers to his wife, who is British, who comes into Scotland um, as a uh, uh, as an outsider. So she's the mm -hmm. outsider, and the Sassanac is a uh, means a lowlander, not a highlander in Scotland, who doesn't speak Gaelic. And so there's a little bit of a a little bit of a fun twist in there because she says all these Scottish words to me that I don't understand, but she's actually the Sassanac and I'm the outlander. Uh, okay. 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 <laughs> Got yeah. it. Anyway. Thank you. For... Uh, but the point there is that you said something in your, in what you were describing in your book around the journey. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that's an interesting and really important topic um, around entrepreneurs because entrepreneurship is not a destination. Yeah. It's right. one of the, it, it, you know, when you go to write a book, you're always like, what do you want people to take away from, from this book? You know? Mm -hmm. So, and that's, that's an easy thing to, 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 you, you know, it's an easy thing to tell someone, you know, get clear on what you want people to take away from the book, but then it's, it's not as easy to design, uh, something that, um, leads people to where you want them to go instead of telling people where you want them to go. I'm not a big believer in telling people what they should do because, right. you know, like I know, right. I mean, yeah. I don't know what yeah. you should do, but I know what I've done. And so um, what I was trying to, to accomplish with the book was to really lay out the entrepreneurial journey as I see it. <clears throat> and with, with the goal of encouraging people to our entrepreneurs to, you know, continue to think big throughout the whole journey. Mm -hmm. And I described the journey as in four parts. And the first is the, what I call the dream stage. Then there's the grind stage. Then for a lot of us, there's the, what I call the break stage. And then there's that one 
that some of us get to, um, but most of us uh, struggle to get to, and that's the breakthrough stage. Um, so, you know, in the dream stage, Don, that's like when, you know, you're getting it off the ground, you're putting the idea together and like everything is going to work. You're just so mm-hmm. sure it's going to work and you get in you have, and every, you have the perfect plan. Yes. You have the perfect <laughs> plan. Everything that comes up is, is, you know, gives you energy because it's probably the first time you've ever had to deal with it. And so you're like, yeah, you know, and you just are so sure everything is going to work and it's going to be great. And at some point for most, maybe not all, but most, if that dream begins to get whittled away by what's actually necessary to run a business, mm-hmm. um, the, all the things that you didn't anticipate in the dream in the dream stage, and that you transition at that point into what I call the grind stage. And that's when, you know, things that used to give you energy, no longer give you energy, things you used to be like, yeah, you know, about you're like, eh. but, but worst of all, the thing that you were dreaming about becomes almost a, a, a distant memory. You can, you can sometimes barely even, barely even express why you are doing what you're doing anymore, because you just are getting walloped by all of these things and your confidence is getting whittled away. And yeah. it's just hard. Um, and the third stage, that break stage. So that's when, you know, that's the, that's when all of that weight of that grind, you've just taken it, taken it, taken it, and you don't know what to do with it. And it just drops you down into a place where you get stuck. Um, Mm -hmm. And then when you're there, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a, initially it's a very uncomfortable place, but you can get comfortable there real, real fast. Meaning Mm -hmm. you just accept that what it is, is what it is. You, you accept that all of, uh, um, you know, that, that, that all of the strategies that you had and everything that worked for you up till now, no longer works. And a lot of times you're in there, at least I was, you know, I'm wandering around thinking, how the hell did I get here? And whose fault is it? (laughs) Who can I blame this on? And, um, and, and it just becomes a place where that's where a lot of the entrepreneurial journey stops for so many people. That's where I, that's where I, you know, I, I was, I thought I might stop there too, because I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't think that, um, I wanted more of the same, like I, mm-hmm. right. But, um, but the cool thing about being there, and it took me a while to come up with this, but a cool thing about being there is, you know, you, when you're in the valley or you're broken or you're just ground to nothing or whatever you happen to want to call the place you're at, so, you know, stuck, whatever. The cool thing is that if you're really honest with yourself and you're really willing to be, to take on some self-awareness, you will discover that where you are is exactly where you designed yourself to be. And that's mm-hmm. going to be a bit of a hard pill to swallow at first, because that means all the responsibility for where you are is yours. Um, and it's a lot easier to try to point it somewhere else or blame it on somebody else. So it can be a little hard to swallow, but it can also be 
the, that, the key that unlocks the door to breakthrough. Because if you can design a system so perfectly that it puts you into this place that you hate, that you don't want to be in, surely you will be able, with some help maybe, to design a system that gets you where you do want to be. So mm -hmm. I feel like... Um, I feel like that's the part of, of the entrepreneurial journey that, that gets, uh, gets really hard for entrepreneurs to, 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 to get their, to get their hands around because you, you get into the green, get into the dream grind takes over you, everybody around you is sort of like, Oh, you work so hard. You know, they're all supporting this grind thing. And, but nobody's saying, Hey, you know, Mike, um, if you're at a place where you don't want to be, look at how you, look at what you designed to get you there. And if that's not the place, then, you know, let's design something. Cause you're good at designing something, right? You're really good at mm -hmm. designing something to get you there. Let's look at a way to design something to get you somewhere else. And that's the breakthrough. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> everything, <laughs> everything that you've described has been my journey. Uh, and I, I, I suspect it's a similar journey for many and most. I mean, the dream part is, is fun. Um, it's scary, but it's fun. It's energizing. It's you're going to go conquer the world. You have this great idea, and you're and you're probably, you know, starting it all. I mean, I know in my case, I mean, most entrepreneurs you start it with a very small team or just yourself. Yep. Mm -hmm. And and you know, and the grind, the grind is. You know, what grinds you down to get to that, you know, where, where people can stall. And the grind is so many things. I mean, it's, you know, you know how to do all these things. I mean, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are really solopreneurs, right? Or, or near solopreneurs and they don't, they, they haven't developed, they've got great ideas and they can make, they take on risks and they can sell and they've got, you know, they've got the ability to deliver. Uh, but then they start taking on, you know, a team and if they don't know how to hire and select and they don't know how to figure out how to put the right people in the right places with the right attitudes what you actually hire for are people who have skills to do something but yeah. don't necessarily have the right mindsets the right tide of values and culture and all of a sudden you you're fighting this river of bureaucracy and different mindsets and and I, I just remember you know, in, you know, when, when I, you know, when parts of my business got into the grind, like, well, this is easy. Why, why can't you do this as good as me? <laughs> so and I went, I went, yeah. And, well, and why don't, you know, why can't you be as passionate? And I, I remember thinking, and, I, and it was, and it, why can't these people who are so energetic about how good they are not get it done and not care as much as I care? And then I realized, and I don't know who said it to me along that journey, Don, no one's going to care about your business as much as you. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and it was like, yeah, I guess that's probably something that I need to uh, at, at least contemplate. That why wouldn't you? But, um, and, and if, they do, if they're not as good as you, can you get them to a place where you can, can and clone yourself and create systems and processes to make things scalable to, you know, take, whatever made you great and that try to replicate it, you know, even if it's at 80%, um, you know, well, but, you know, 
can I jump in there for a second? Yeah, please. Yeah, I, go I, ahead. Yeah, I, I um. So this is what I this is what I struggled with for a long time. I would uh, invest in people, meaning I would hire them, but then I would not invest in the person, meaning teach them what I actually mm -hmm. wanted them to do. Right. You what you were describing right there reminds me of my approach for a long time, which was uh, leadership by example. Yeah. Uh, teaching by osmosis, meaning yes, I'm going to model the behavior that I want you to 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 adapt adopt, yeah, uh, and, and then run with. Um, I'm not going to tell you that I'm modeling the behavior. I'm just going to assume that you yeah. see exactly. that I'm modeling exactly. the behavior, and I'm going yeah. to assume that whatever is in my mind is making its way to your mind because yeah. of this modeling. And then I'm going to be extremely frustrated when it doesn't, but I'm not going to tell you that I'm frustrated. I'm just going to mm -hmm. be frustrated myself. And, you know, it just, it just goes on and oh, on. It's, and yeah, on because... it, it, absolutely. And, and it, and it replicates, right? So I'll, I've, I wrote a, I wrote a short book called coaching your team and it's the leadership management and accountability missing link. And it's all about coaching. And, and in that book, you know, what I talked about early is, um, you know, leadership and management principles. And if people can't get the, you know, understand that, you know, being a leader and a manager and to create accountability inside of your business is not about you doing it. It's about create, building a team of people who do it. And hopefully, and if you're really confident and and you are able to show vulnerability, you can hire people and help people grow to be better at doing those jobs than you ever were. Yeah, right. It's uh, yeah. We were talking about EOS before we went on, right? It's yeah. like it's like being it's like running EOS or traction. You know, if, if people know it better like that, it's like running that in the business, but you have no accountability. Uh, uh, but chart or whatever you have, mm -hmm. you have none of that you have no rocks you have nothing you're just like from on high you're sprinkling down this leadership by example or this osmosis yeah. of and then you're just expecting it to run mm -hmm. and for people to to run it like they like their owners done right exactly yeah <laughs> the thing is though i think a lot of people will run will will work your business like with an ownership mentality mm -hmm. but they really have to understand what you want of them and what yeah, they're free 100%, 100%. to do, what they're free to do. Yeah. So I spent, you know, I've been 30 years in, uh, in my space, in the industrial specialty space and, um, and then coaching and helping other industrial and construction, um, entrepreneurs build their businesses. I, that's kind of the two themes of my companies. Um, and I, but I spent, I spent 15 years of those 30 years as an entrepreneur and 15 years as an entrepreneur on my own. Those 15 mm -hmm. years inside of other companies helped me learn uh, a couple things. One was that I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to work for other people who, who lacked, who didn't have a vision and were acting corporately and bureaucratic, even if they weren't huge. Right? And I don't even think huge companies need to be bureaucratic. Um, but I learned, you know, but I value every one of those years because I learned so much. But I remember inside of those, inside of that time, I always act like an owner. Like I always bled the company, you know, 
blood. And, you know, I cared more about my, the performance of the regions or the offices and the business units that I ran often than the people that I reported to. And, and as a result, you know, I, I just had this career where I was, all, I was always a top performer and I always created these businesses that were top performers in the greater space. And so when I became an entrepreneur, I'm like, well, you know, I need people who just did what I did when I was an employee who are just super top performers who care right. as much as, as anything. But that's, but that's not necessarily, that doesn't happen, you know, just because you say that's what you want. <laughs> no, it and, doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't, right? And, you know, you know, inside of my coaching book, I said, what happens when people don't have, don't, if you don't develop leadership and management sort of capabilities, and I, I didn't even know where mine came from, but it turns out that, you know, I had life circumstances that forced me to become a leader really young, and, and I was fortunate that I had, uh, I had several key mentors uh, from a, a military cadet point of view that taught me leadership principles when I was 13, 14, 15, 16 hmm. that, you know, most people don't get. Most people don't get that, and they've got to learn that later. And so I learned it early, and it just, be, you know, w without realizing it, it wasn't it wasn't that that's who I was. I learned it. I just happened to learn it 15 to 20 years earlier than a lot of people. And, and I didn't even recognize that I learned it because I thought it was just intuitive. <laughs> yeah. Right? But, but it turned, it turned out that I learned it really, really early in life. And, and that, that, that's sort of why when I was in my twenties and I was a young manager, it just, it was just, for me, it was just organic to do, to do that, to care more than anybody. And, but, you know, along the way, you know, repli you know, it's one thing to be that. It's another thing to recreate that in others. And along the way, I became the chief problem solver, the person that everyone went to for all the answers. And, you know, the organizations grew because, you know, they could come to me. I could tell them what to do. Um, along the way, I became the rescuer which was, you know, diving in and, okay, you got a problem. Let me come in and take, do this for mm -hmm. you. And, you know, and, you know, sort of like parachute management, but I'd rescue you and be the hero. Uh, and then another stage, I, I was the super doer, which, you know, you know, like you, you described, you know, it's, you know, leadership and performance by osmosis. Like, like I'm going to do all this and just watch what I do and then do it, do it just like me. And, yeah. you know, all three of those are sort of, you know, manifestations of not living by some, just some sound principles of leadership and management. And the funny part is when I, when I kind of created those terms and defined them, I originally had spotted this in some of the people who worked for me over the years. And then upon self-reflection, I realized that along my career, I was every one of those people. <laughs> so it was funny. It was funny. It was funny to go, well, this guy was a super doer and this guy was a rescuer and this guy was a chief problem solver. And I could spot these different characteristics. And then I went, hmm, you know what, Don? You were all three of those things at different stages. <laughs> and what had to and happen so, you know, for you to, to have avoid that? that. What, what had to happen for you to have that self-reflection? Um, um, you know, it was really, um, 
work that I've done over the last six or seven years <clears throat> with people like people in strategic coach. Um, the, you know, you know, you were, you spent several years in coach, so you're familiar. But um, yeah. and this is an, a, a new book that, that they've come up with. But there was a book that um, uh, a couple of concepts in that program that really made me self-reflect. One is un- the, the concept of unique ability and not trying to work on all your, you know, improve all your weaknesses, but really concentrate and, and, and really sharpen the things that you are just incredibly excellent at, that you love doing, that are energizing. That was a really powerful thing for me to work through. Um, and the other one was a, you know, was a concept called who, not how. I mean, mm-hmm. I think a lot of entrepreneurs try to how their business to death. I got to figure out how to do this and how to do that and how to do that. And I'm like, you know, are you a great video person? To who? No. Well, then mm-hmm. why are you trying to figure it out? Like there are, there are infinitely more capable, faster, more productive, more skilled video people who can interview you on camera and create much more better work than you trying to be the video guy. And yeah. you know, expo- you know, create that exponentially across your organization. And then that those two concepts flipped and said, I've got to hire everyone in every role that either helps me get to my unique ability or they have a unique how and they're my who for that and those two concepts you know allowed me to sort of move away from let me be you know the armchair P&L you know accountant and let me be the industrial safety guy and let me be the industrial quality guy and and over the years I've developed all of those capabilities but I'm not they're not my unique abilities and so, you know, what I could, you know, by setting some of those expectations based on my level of capability, uh, you know, I was, I was creating mediocrity. Yeah, but you were also assigning right. a lot of value to it while you were doing it because you were like, look, I could do this. Look, I can do that. Look, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. sort of uh, asking for help is like cheating. Man. I'm, I'm not a cheater. Oh, I'm gonna, yeah. I can do this. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, there, there, look it, at it all. Was, the, uh, look at all the money I'm saving by doing all this stuff myself. I mean, <laughs> these are the thoughts that are going on, right? Oh, all of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't want to pay someone fifty bucks an hour to do my books. I could do it myself. Right. Yeah. Well. well. <laughs> yeah. Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. Wait. Well, wait till the tax man audits you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. all of those things that we're talking about now. You wonder why the grind comes. That's. That's one of the reasons it comes, right? Yeah. No, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And all of a sudden, yeah. you don't even know what you got into this business for. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, the things that you have had joy in in your dream, yeah, you're no longer doing any of the joy stuff nope. in your dream, and you're doing all of this grind stuff that is not, none of it, I mean, all of a sudden, it feels like you got a job, right? <laughs> and, and it's a job you don't like doing. Right. But, you know, yet, yet every one of those things, um, there are people out there, maybe they're already in your business or they're out there somewhere that, you know, the things that you grudge doing, right, the grind things that you're doing today. And lots of our listeners today have a team of five or 15. And, you, and I can tell you from personal experience and from working with many entrepreneurs that when I map out all the ways you spend your time, 50 to 80% of your time is in the grind. That's right. And it's in the grind because you are doing things that you're not the best at and somehow you think you've got to do it. You know, you know, you've yeah. you've, you've got to process payroll. I mean, 
you, you know, I, I remember for years that it was shameful that I didn't do my own expense report inside mm -hmm. of other companies and in the early days of my business. Like, this is not shameful. It needs to get done. It's an administrative function. Someone needs to do it. I'm sure someone would love to do it. All I know is I hate doing it. And therefore, my finance team always chased me for receipts and expenses and whatnot because I procrastinated as, as heck with it because it, to me, was just a grind to sit there and write little ex explanations on receipts and fill out some Excel spreadsheet so that they could you know, justify how it was going to be accounted for. And I'm like, I'm right. not doing any of this ever again for the rest of my life. <laughs> now I have, uh, now I have, a, I have two envelopes, two little leather wallets. One is for the receipts for one business. One is the receipts for the other business. And I've got a who, who loves doing that. And nice. never again, never, never again. So, you know, there's, I think the grind is all of that stuff that is stuff you hate doing, but you somehow you hold on to well you know it's like it's it's attaching value to it i think is what makes it hard don you know you this is this is who you've become and if they take this away if i give this to somebody else i mean what a, it, it really flips it's like well what am i gonna do <laughs> right instead of it being like you know trying to get to your unique ability to use it that that coach term it's People think that their unique ability, oftentimes, I know I did, is the ability to handle everything. That's your unique yeah. ability, right? And if I give that up, what am I going to do? Yeah. How am I going to? Oh yeah. Do uh, I've had I've had people on my team who, as I walked them through that sort of thinking process, they they couldn't elevate their thinking. They thought that they had to do. They had to be the planner and the and the operations, you know, hands-on with the tools to run that project. And they couldn't, they, they, they actually believed their unique ability was doing that. And I said, well, the elevated version of that is that you lead a group of people who do that and you help them become great, great operations leaders. You know, if that's what you want to do, if that is what would give you passion is, you know, for me, I realize that, um, you know, my own focus needs to be on innovation and on strategy and on messaging. That's, those are my unique abilities. And mm -hmm. that's why I have podcasts. That's why I do video. That's why I write books because the messaging is key, but there's, but it's strategy is baked in there and innovation and finding new exponential ideas. Um, those are the things that energize me and I'm, I'm, I'm really good at it. You know, the, but the minute that you, if you, if you, if you don't realize that and you think, well, why aren't you out, you know, in the field with that industrial crew? And so well, I, I did that for 15 of my 30 years in, in this space. Um, but that's not where I create the most value. Right. And, but, you know, helping people elevate their thinking that make a decision, you know, do you want to be the doer or do you want to be the leader of doers? And you, you don't have to, you know, you, you can, you can elevate yourself from doer to leader of doers by imparting knowledge and coaching and training and development. And that's another way that you can sort of elevate, you know, the, your contribution. Yeah. But, but, you, but, and, but I think you have to have, you got to find passion in, 
Because I, I personally find love and passion and joy in watching my people grow and succeed. But if you don't find that that's where you find energy, like when I see one of my team elevate themselves to a new level of performance and I know I had something to do with helping them get there, that is, that's part of the journey in, this, in, in the entrepreneurial journey that I enjoy probably the most. Better, better than winning a big sale, better than a strong P&L. Watching people grow is, uh, is, is a really fulfilling thing for me. I love when they grow when I had nothing to do with it too, Don. Oh, besides, oh yeah, 100%. Besides yeah. opening the door to them being a team yeah. member, I had nothing to do with them seizing the opportunity and doing something I never would have imagined that they, they yeah. or they wouldn't have imagined that they yeah. were capable of doing. That's, that's for me has always been like, wow. Like that's, that's a great yeah, it's almost, byproduct it's, of what we're doing. It's right? almost like, you know, you might you may get their the wheel turning but all of a sudden they have this exponential growth you know like i had nothing to do with that I, but you know there's some little piece i was a spark there somewhere maybe but but what they're doing now this is far better than what i could do it's definitely not what i thought what i what i was involved in teaching them yeah and yeah. and th those are really 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 rewarding things it's to see see those you know your team really find their own acceleration and you know it might have come from 100 sources but a lot of that energy came from within somewhere right yeah yeah and you know recognizing that is tremendously rewarding for both the team member and for you the entrepreneur mm -hmm. and just like for me it's always been about even when even like my subtitle in my, my book is how getting selfish got me unstuck. And mm -hmm. there's a, there, you know, I use the word intentionally, but there's a whole story to that. But, you know, what? sometimes I see, you know, when people start focusing only on their unique ability, they, 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 they tend to, they tend to do less caring about right. other people too. And I don't think you can ever let that go if you're going to no. be successful. Uh, number one core value in our business is family first. And mm. I define family as everyone in the organization, uh, as, you know, care for each other, take care of each other. Because we spend, you know, in terms of waking hours, you know, the people that you work with, uh, you probably spend more time with them often than you do your own immediate family. And Yeah, well, yeah. Right? And yeah, so, when you, you know, take sleeping out, you do, definitely do. Yeah, you know, so family first is is about caring for each other. That's our number one foundational core value. And anyone in our business who doesn't believe in that, doesn't live that, exhibits, you know, that they're, that, that they're against that, they, they, well, now we filter out for it. Because long, long before I really defined that, I believed it, but I wasn't, I didn't necessarily have a way to hire for that. And yeah. now we do. Now we've got those tools in place to to seek out, attract, and repel people who don't believe in what we believe. Um, but caring is, uh, is so important that, you know, in, inside of my unique ability, inside of all of our teams, like if, if, you're, being, if you're being selfish and careless, um, I think that's, that is a recipe for disaster. If you're being selfish because you need to do certain things to take care of yourself so that you can so the you know the you can create more benefit and value for all those who are 
you know, that you care for, then I think that that's the right formula. Yeah, you're, right? yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, I, I this was not, I always put myself, I always put self-care last. Like, I was so busy being busy that eating right and, you know, and exercising and meditating and doing some things that were about keeping myself healthy, fit, and focused was always like, I, well, I got to try to fit this in at 9 o'clock tonight. And, I, and by 9 o'clock, you were too tired. And I had to flip the script on that. And I said, you know, I got to be selfish by the first thing I, ever, I do every day is some self-care so that I can have the energy and the health to take care of my immediate family, to be there for my team, to look after the people who are, you know, in the sphere of influence that I care about. And, uh, and there's still people today that I explain that to, that they go, yeah, I don't have time. I don't have time to mm. be selfish. But, you know, but I think it's really important to, to, to kind of flip the script on that because if you're the leader um, and you're not being selfish uh, in certain ways, uh, and, I, and I, I'm using the example of self-care, but I, I'd like you to explain a little bit more because I actually wrote down, you know, you know, explaining, explaining this from the point of view of being a selfish leader for the benefit of, of others. Yeah, I mean, I can, I, I think I can cut right to it. You know, I, I was trained, conditioned. I had a belief system that um, being selfless, putting myself last was the way that effective leaders, um, you know, do it. They, that they put everybody else first. And the, the feeling is that, well, if I do that, then it's going to pay off because everybody's going to feel like I'm, you know, um, you know, the right kind of leader and they're going to want to excel for me. But, but, but I've come to believe uh, through my own experience that I cannot be an effective selfless leader until I get selfish, have to get selfish before I can get selfless. The reason is when, when I choose to be selfless before I've been selfish, I'm never going to get to where I want to be because I'm always going to be responding uh, to what other people need or creating a system that requires me to respond to what everyone needs. Right. Mm -hmm. That's so that's not really being selfless. That's being selfish too, but in a, it, but it's being selfish to avoid what you're supposed to be doing right. as opposed to being selfish to, to get clear on what you want to be doing. And you, you know, again, back, getting back to unique, unique ability, um, you gotta be selfish to get to your unique ability. Um, mm -hmm you know, because it's not, it's often not clear and it's often not easy. Even once you decide what it is to spend, to, to realize and be able to convey to people that the more time I spend doing these things, the bigger future we're going to have together, the more opportunity that everyone is going to have, the more the needle is going to move. When we get wrapped up in selflessness, we're not moving the needle the way it needs to be moved. We're just manipulating its movement. Uh, and I just, I mean, that's how I ended up in the Valley by being selfless before I was selfish. So right. that's what it, that's what it means to me. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I think there's so many themes in there around, you know, the in inside of unique ability. And and I, I thought about as you were speaking, I had to learn the the selfish uh, act of protecting my time. Um, and and it had a, you know there was coaching and teaching went in there because I, I you know I had everyone in the company I was being seen as the chief problem solver and and there were certain people in the business who you know for a variety of reasons from an accountability standpoint they they even though I've always said it you know that they were empowered to make decisions they wouldn't make decisions they wanted to talk to me and so somehow they would be validated and protected by I told Don what I was going to do Don said yes if it doesn't work I guess you know Don's accountable mm -hmm. and so there was you know all these you know I want to talk to you about something and they were always wanting to talk to me to get answers and to get approvals and um and so I changed a couple things you know, at, you know, in learning to be selfish to help them grow and to kind of create accountability. And I, said, I don't take any meetings unless you, you know, show me your thinking beforehand. Uh, you know, tell me what the meeting's about, you know, what you've worked on, what, you know, how far along you've taken this idea what, and what your suggestions are. And, uh, and, and I, and when, when my approval wasn't required, I, I stopped giving approval and I asked for recommendations when we met. And all of a sudden, the, the, they, there was, there was, over time, I wasn't getting everyone in the company wanting to meet with me for a half an hour, three times a week to, you know, uh, because, I, you know, it was, it was creating accountability and it was creating, well, Don's not going to give me approval. He's going to ask me for a recommendation. And, and then I'm, you know, and it, it was really, I worked with, a, uh, and it was really a coaching mindset. I, I worked with a really great coach's coach out of New York. Uh, his name was Keith Rosen. I don't know if you've ever met Keith. I haven't. But, but Keith, Keith really taught me to stop being the chief problem solver answerer and to just use questions as opposed to giving answers in the way that I was doing that. And it was a really helpful way to, be selfish with my time and um, uh, unique ability uh, you mentioned earlier. It's it's you have to be selfish. I think you got to be super intentional too. Hmm. You know, you, you know, I think yeah. there's a there's a major intentionality in I'm going to be very intentional to get rid of some of these things and all of a sudden, you know, assigning away responsibilities. How you hired all sort of flowed from being selfish to free myself up to get rid of a lot of those things. I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with because they hold on to all of these should do things. You know, there's six people on the team and you're sometimes doing some sales and sometimes doing some accounting and sometimes doing some project planning and, and really, you know, it's all things that need to get done in the business, but not necessarily recognizing that, you know, 70, 60, 70, 80% of what you're doing are things that you're not the best person to be doing it. And I think it, there's it, another component to that too, Don, and that is that, you know, you <clears throat> oftentimes this self-awareness thing that we've mentioned a couple of times, oftentimes 
you know, that is not something that comes naturally to a lot of people. And so mm-hmm. this between that and this osmosis and this, I want you to do this, and but you're not doing it. I think a lot of times too, we create, we, we can create uh, systems environments in our companies that where people don't feel safe to do yeah. the things you want them to do because we've conditioned them to either come to us for validation, um, which they mm-hmm. do. People love to come to someone for, yeah. with, for validation, get Don's approval. That way it ain't on me if this, you know, doesn't work. Um, but they're also, you know, they, they watch, they watch what's happening too, you know, and if somebody does something on their own and the, res- and it doesn't work out well. And the response was, well, why did you do that? People are like, Hmm, I don't want to have that conversation. So, um, it's, you know, we kind of reinforce that stuff ourselves. And, and even from just from a thinking standpoint, how many times have you been around entrepreneurs or executives or whatever, and they're describing something that isn't working in their company and they talk about the people or person pejoratively. It's mm-hmm. they dismiss the person to appear. Well, right. do you think that you can dismiss a person to appear? And that's not something that you're showing, you know, inside of your business. You don't think people are picking up on that. Just the fact that you think to say that to someone else that you think is a peer, you identify as a peer as if there's this, you know, I'm this person here and I'm totally different person here. Like at work, I'm supporting everybody. I'm doing all this. I'm coaching. And then when I get in front of, you know, I get in a CEO group with Don, I go, can you believe how dumb so-and-so was, you know, you can't, do that. You can't no. separate that that stuff. No. And I'll, 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 here's a truth bomb. I'm guilty of that in the past, right? I've I, I've found myself uh, at a few different points in the business where I was super frustrated mm-hmm. uh, with you know someone who just wasn't getting it, wasn't wasn't pivoting, wasn't doing what I kept asking them to do, and Innocently enough, um, I would speak to someone else, you know, in, uh, you know, who was a direct report, trusted on my leadership team, to, uh, because I needed to share and, and get, let my frustration out. Um, and 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 I think I think I mistakenly believed, oh, the person that I'm talking about knows these issues; they're not he- somehow hearing me. So I think if I share it with this person, maybe they'll hear it and realize, oh, this really is a serious issue. But all of it was deteriorating trust, and right. uh, and it was a real important lesson for me to learn that you know that my intentions were genuine, but the way it was being heard and perceived was 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 at you know maybe eroding trust, but certainly uh, eroding psychological safety. Yeah, because it right. came across as a complaint rather than uh, uh, um, you know a request for that person to actually help. Like absolutely, you know, hey, I don't seem to be getting through to Don, yeah. and I've tried yeah. this. I, this, I didn't. This, I didn't I approach it like yeah. exactly. We, I didn't I approach it like. Could you go and talk to that person because I right. can't seem to be getting through to them, and I need them to hear this issue and that they need to act on it. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I've been right I, there I, with you, man. It's not yeah, like I. Yeah. It's it's not. But I'm, but now I'm just so much more conscious of it. Yes. That as soon as I start going down, I say, wait a second, 
that's my responsibility that this person is not performing the way I want mm -hmm. them to. So yeah. I'm, so I can be frustrated about that, but I can't be frustrated about them. I have to be frustrated yeah. about me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and on the, on the topic of, uh, safety and, you know, validation, uh, and, and back to unique ability. Here's an interesting thing. I mean, when I went through those exercises and learned it many years ago, to me, this was like, this was exactly what I needed to hear. I'm ready for this. And, you know, very quickly I could hone in and map out how I was spending my time. And I, and I had done some work on time, use of time that, you know, in, you know, made that a really easy exercise for me because I have used time blocks to really understand how, what I'm doing on a long-term plan. So it was easy for me to map that out. But, you know, I've got people in the company over the years who haven't developed that discipline of using their calendar for themselves as opposed mm -hmm. to others. Yeah. Um, and so they got to sit there and go, well, how did I spend all my time the last three, four weeks? And, um, but the, the interest, the really interesting thing I found, even with people I considered to be pretty experienced senior leaders and managers, the language of incompetency and competency versus um, unique ability was really challenging for them to cross, you know, the Rubicon and say, I'm incompetent at something. Um, and um, because of psychological safety or, you know, and I'm in a very technical business. And so saying you're incompetent, you know, when you're in a technical business is akin to you shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, and, and, and I, if I, if I took people through the exercise and explained that in a safe way and showed the why, you know, the Simon Sinek start with why, why we're doing this is to allow you to move towards the things that you're great at, that you love doing. Unless I did it, it was, it was, I, I would get back sort of, an, you know, information that said, you know, it was funny. I had people who had no incompetencies. And yet, you know, they were running a part of the business that was not doing great. And, and you know, and so there was sort of this discontinuity. Um, but what I, what I did, and I, um, un I understood that words matter. And people who are capable of vulnerability can be okay with the word competency and incompetency. But if, but if, and I, and I know, and, and, and we can be vulnerable and feel safe as the entrepreneur because there's no one going to fire us, right? Um, we get to fire ourselves, but, but our employees might be different. And uh, so I, I did some interesting work with Dr. B.J. Fogg in behavior design, and he has this neat process called focus mapping. And so instead of using the words uh, competency and incompetency when we were, you know, working with some, some of my team, I just changed it to least skill, highest skill, love doing this, this is grudge work. And the, the change in facilitating that and the change in just some words to make it feel more intuitive and safe, people on my team who had zero or only one or two incompetencies going through that exercise in a different way, with 40 or 50 things that they used in their time, all of a sudden 25 to 30% of it moved into that incompetency zone and we could start to work together in a proactive way to get rid of things. But the key was safety and vulnerability and, um, and, 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 and making sure that they understood that there was, they would benefit from that exercise. And I think it was, 
it was a really it was really insightful to uh, make sure that you make people feel safe and that they can be vulnerable so that they can grow because I don't think you can without it. Yeah, and then and when you said words matter, that's been one of my things for a long time. I think too many leaders and I'll put entrepreneurs in there, they do not have they do not have a sense of how much the words that they say matter, what comes out of their mouth matters, you know, mm -hmm. just like I was talking about, we were talking about earlier with, you know, you get with a peer and you say something you would never say in front of people, but you, the fact that you would say it means that it matters. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's one of the hardest things about being a, a leader is really, really recognizing that when you say something to someone, they're not processing it most of the time the way you are. So 100% of the time, <laughs> if you call someone say. incompetent, incompetent, for example, mm -hmm. to you, that just might mean, hey, I'm just telling you the truth. We need to okay. work on that. Right now, it's an incompetency. They might might see that as like the most self-defeating thing that could you could ever say to them and they'll never oh, yeah. you know they, they won't come no, back well, from it you know but we and we all went to school in a school system that graded you on, right. on competence right yeah. so you know you know the kids who were incompetent in school were the kids who got 40s and 50s on their exams i'm not one of them i you know i i i, I i've got straight a's i'm not incompetent well I, but you know you're incompetent at doing these six things and it's not about, it's not a judgment like in school, but understanding the context that we all grew up in this Western education system that ranked us. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. Right? Yeah. So instead of incompetent, it's like, you're just not where we need you to be. Yeah. Yet. You know? Yeah, I, I just, you know, in, in the way that I, I work with my team now is it's just a quadrant that says my least my yeah, least like effective that. skills, least effective skills, highest effective skills, activities I love doing, activities I grudge doing, and stuff that's in the quadrant that says least effective skills, grudge work, that's the incompetency bucket, yep. right? I yep. hate doing it and I suck at it. Right, 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 right. right. <clears throat> and, and that made it fun and more comfortable. And then it was like, okay, now let's get rid of this stuff. Let's figure out. Because the funny part is, is there are people in our organization or people that are looking for a job that if you gave them that job description, they would go, oh, I would love that job. Yeah. Or, and, uh, and, yeah. And you and I can't imagine that someone would love and be excellent at doing the stuff that we hate and suck at. Right. But they they are out there. Um, and, uh, you know, my my assistant, Mallory, she loves doing stuff that I suck at. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why that relationship that, you know, what we call, you know, I call I call it our entrepreneurial partnership. Right? I'm the visionary and she's the person who, you know, keeps it all organized and tells me what I should be doing. She, you know, in, a, in most ways, she's my she manages me. And and the reason it works so well is because, you know, all the things like keeping me organized and administrative work. And, you know, figuring out, you know, where I need to be and how to make it more effective. Like, I want all those things, but I'm not great at them. And, and she is. Cause, and we, you know, 
my 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 friend and you know mentor Kathy Colby, you know looked at my looked at my instinct and profile and said, "Here's the kind of assistant you need, Don." And I went out and found that person, and and it's oh, been nice. a really great really great relationship. Um, how did you break? Well, <clears throat> I so about past past the grind and you broke. Yeah. Yeah. So as I mentioned, it was the, the sort of the final straw on that was when my partner Butch passed away. So that was about 11 years into the business, Don. And we'd been through, you know, some really nice growth. We probably had 50 team members at that point. We were probably doing close to $10 million. We were making money. And, um, but I was, and we had, so we had some really good stuff, but we also had some real, you know, thrown for loops along the way too. But I think mm -hmm. the biggest thing was that even though we were, you know, 10, 11 years into the business as a leader and as, you know, an entrepreneur, I was still running the business. Like it was a startup, like it was a baby, mm -hmm. like it needed me for, you know, all of its nutrition and sustenance and, and, and without me, it would die. And um, like I described earlier in the dream part of that, I love that. I got a lot of energy from that, but, but by the time, you know, it was coming at me from all these different directions because that's what I asked for. I just want to be clear about that. It wasn't like people were doing stuff to, you know, to, to mess with me. This is what I had asked for. And, and when Butch, Butch, um, he, he, got burned very badly in a fire at one of our facilities. And then a couple of days later, he passed away. And when that happened, just the weight of everything that I had been designed, you know, to, to run the way it was that I wasn't liking. And then he, he being gone, he was like the person that believed in me more than anybody else in the world. You know, mm -hmm. and, um, I just was like, I don't know what to do now. And that's what broke me. That's what put me in the, this valley of uncertainty, as I call it. And, and you know, it, it took me a couple of years to get out of there. And, and we've talked about some of the things that sort of shifted in me to, to, to realize that there was a future, um, that it didn't have to be like this, you know, going, going forward, which is what I thought it would be initially. But I think a couple of things that really, so that's what got me there. A couple of things that got me out of there was um, all along, I had confused the notion of responsibility and being responsible. So I had, including with Butch's death, I had uh, almost everything that ever happened I felt like I was responsible for, meaning that it was a reflection of me, particularly the things that didn't go well. And that's, you know, it's, that's, that's hard. When you, when you feel like everything is a reflection of you, it's difficult. And I had to shift my thinking to, I have responsibility for everything that happens. But I'm not re personally responsible. In other words, it's not a reflection of who I am as a person. It's just 
a responsibility that I, as the leader, the owner of the company, the entrepreneur, I have to, you know, I have, I have responsibility for, and I have to take care of it. So that was one thing. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that I feel like was maybe the most instrumental five words that I've ever heard. And they did happen to come from, from Dan Sullivan. Um, uh, coincidentally, it's not something that he teaches in the program. It was just, uh, at least I don't think he teaches this. It was just, I was listening to a CD on the way back from a session when I was, you know, trying to climb my way out of this valley and, and get unstuck. And he was talking about, it doesn't even matter what he was talking about, but he said these words, he said, my future is my property. Mm -hmm. And I heard those words. I'd never heard anybody say something like that before. And as I mentioned, you know, I was thinking that my, I didn't own my future at all. It wasn't mine at all. It was something that was just going to happen. And the likelihood that it would be like my past or my present was pretty good. I thought in my mind, because why wouldn't it be? <laughs> yeah. But when he said my, he, when he, when I heard him say my future is my property, I was like, that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's it. If I want my future to be my property, meaning I'm willing to pay for it, own it on decide what it's going to be, and then create a plan to get to it. Um, that's how I break through. That's mm -hmm. how I break through because as we talked about before, all this selflessness that was going on or all this sort of designing a system so that I could be the hero or so everything had to come to me or so I could treat the, the, the business like a baby. Um, I was, it was total job avoidance. You know, mm -hmm. my job as the entrepreneur or the leader is to create a future that, you know, is way bigger than what we have now and try to try to chart a course. Well, first to be able to describe it very specifically and then, and then work with it, you know, build a team and chart a course to get to it. I hadn't been doing any of that. Mm -hmm. And that's hard work. That's like, it's easy to say what I just said. That's, that's, that's really hard work. And I was not doing that hard work. And that's why I, why I'm convinced that I, that I broke. Um, but, uh, but acknowledging that and then, you know, shifting my, my mind on, and there were a bunch of other things I shifted my mind on, but shifting my mind on responsible versus responsibility. And then hearing him say that my future is my property is that's what started to get me to, to, to fit, to, to get off my ass, stop feeling sorry for myself and start doing what I'm supposed to be doing and make this business what it can become. Yeah. You know, the, he, he, he's, I've never heard him say those specific words, but he, I've heard him say many times, always make your future bigger than your past. Right. Yeah. And, that. um, <clears throat> but there's another theme in there and that is, you know, from a vision standpoint and from where you want to go, like your future, you know, if, if you don't have a vision for your future, then any, any route you take will do. <laughs> right? yeah right a goal yeah <laughs> like like a goal without a target always gets met right yeah it's like, yeah um, I, I said to uh, uh I, I, I was i was exchanging some strategy and tactics quotes with uh one of the one of the uh, ladies on our marketing team 
and uh, I was trying to get across the message that you know it sounds like we're you know we're involved in a bunch of tactics here, but we're not quite connecting it to the strategy. And it was uh, you know it was Sun Tzu in the Art of War, and he said that you know strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory, and tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. Mm. And uh, I think you need both. You need it. You need a, You need a destination, and you need to have a plan to get there and it needs to be implemented and as leaders we've got to make sure that that's all in place some of it we design some of it we have people design but in the absence of that any destination and any route will will do right and yeah i think that's the that's the that's where a lot of entrepreneurs can can end up yeah i mean you don't when you don't know what you want it's unlikely that you're going to get it. So yeah. why don't you spend some time instead of spending all your time complaining about why you don't have time to do, you know, this, that, or the other, why don't you just commit to figuring out what you want and then um, get a little bit selfish about putting some structure around that and then get selfless about having your team help you get to mm-hmm. exactly what you want because it, it, because it's going to be good for them as yeah. well as for you. Yeah. Mike, um, how do you help people today? Well, I, I think I, I mean, I feel like I help people a, a number of ways. One, I help people um, with my podcast, How Did It Happen? Um, because there I'm, I'm, I'm really looking to dig deep into stories of success. And I, I want to get to the root of how they happen, but even more than that, why they matter. Um, and I want people listening, you know, all of whom have greatness inside of them. I want to, I want my, my guests and my conversations with them to inspire, activate. That's the most important thing and maximize that greatness. You know, if you want to be something more than what you are now, whatever that is. And one of the people that I have on, um, you know, unlocks that in you and activates you to do something about it, then, you know, that's like amazing to me. So mm-hmm. that's one thing. Um, I, I've been fortunate to, you know, help uh, over a hundred entrepreneurs so far by investing in their companies and, and, and helping in other ways as I can uh, to support their journey. I mean, I feel like that's really important work for me to to mm-hmm. to help people achieve their goals, build big companies, make opportunities available to a lot of people, and and you know who who knows maybe maybe make the world better while while they're doing it. Um, and then I've um, you know it's weird, Don. So I, I wrote the book um, Ownership and. It came out in in uh, at the end of November 2021, and um, I wasn't thinking about this at all. It's like a strategic byproduct, to use another coach term. But yep. people read the book and they said to me, "Hey, do you do, you know, coaching for entrepreneurs?" And I'm like, "No, I don't do coaching for entrepreneurs." Um, but I started thinking about it, and you know, when when people are are sort of asking you for something, you begin to think about it, and so. Now I've got uh, ownership coaching, and uh, so I help um, entrepreneurs, um, you know, imagine the futures they want and make them happen. So I've got that going on, and and you know I've got my hands in a bunch of other 
things as well. But um, those are those are my main my main uh, points of focus at the moment. So, author, podcast, investor, coach, yeah, and as an entrepreneur, always trying on some other new hat that you haven't quite defined yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, yeah. I mean, I'm in the middle of, um, you know, trying to buy another business now too. So I, there, there's, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm out there. The journey, you know, you can reach, you know, and I think that's, that's the point in the entrepreneurial world, particularly once you find, you get out of the grind and you get past the break, you have the break and you get a breakthrough, the journey is no longer one destination. It's a waypoint. And then the journey continues. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good way to put it. Yep. Yeah. The journey continues. And, uh, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, the, the mindset shift is this is just who I am. This is what I do. And I don't really plan to retire because I just love what I do. When you can, when you can get to that place, then the journey just continues on. And, you know, as you set goals, they become destinations, and then it's just a waypoint for the next part of the route to take to get to the next destination because I think the fun in the whole thing is the journey. Yeah. And, you know, there's if you can continue to make breakthroughs that impact, you know, that, 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 that create bigger futures for you and impact other people positively, why would you, why would you, you know, retire or why would you take yourself out of commission um, yeah, and I why think wouldn't you on, do that? Yeah, I, I think the, the concept of retirement is because you don't you don't love what you're doing and you want to be able to stop and travel and have yeah. a life after work. And I'm like, well, why not have a life while you work? <laughs> yeah, I think that, that, that that's the unique advantage of having entrepreneurial freedom is you can do all those things, but you've got to figure out how to be happy and find success. And you know, that the breakthrough portion is I think where that, where that comes from. Yeah. Mike, how do people find you? The best place to find me, <clears throat> you can find out about all the things we just talked about on my website, which is my name. It's Mike Malatesta. That's M A L A T E S T A.com. Uh, go there. You can, check out everything I do and you can connect with me there as well. If you'd like sign up for my newsletter, you can do anything you want there. The books on there, your podcasts are on there. Your yep. contact information is on there. I spent uh, a couple hours on that site uh, before the show, just getting ready for our chat. So good site. And uh, I encourage everyone to go there. We'll put Mike's website uh, in the show notes and uh, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. Don, it's been a pleasure. Great conversation. Thank you. Absolutely wonderful talking to another entrepreneur who has been on a journey and it continues.